At the DPP Tech Leaders Briefing in November last year, Christina Scott, the CTO of News UK and the global head of Emerging Tech for News Corp, caused quite a stir. She was talking about how wrong so many suppliers get it when they try to contact her. Spam emails, cold calling, trying to drop unsolicited meetings into her diary, all the usual stuff. But the story that made the virtual audience gasp was about the supplier that sent her an empty Beats headphone box with the message that if she met them, they'd give her the actual headphones. Was that a crazy one-off? Well, no, because you know what? The next day, Richard Waghorn, the CTO of RTE, reported the exact same trick had been tried on him. So at a time when the absence of trade shows is placing greater pressure than ever on customers and suppliers to find effective ways of engaging with each other, the DPP podcast asks, how did business get so messy? Hi, my name is Mark Harrison. I'm the CEO of the DPP. And I'm Rowan de Pomeray, the CTO at the DPP. And Rowan, today we're looking at um, a kind of risky topic, I guess, because we'll be talking honestly about uh, supplier-customer relationships. And of course, the DPP itself is a supplier. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we spend a lot of time with with both sides of the uh, the buying equation in terms of our member companies. But as you say, the uh, the quiet little secret is that, of course, we're a supplier to all of them. Well, I guess we should really begin by asking ourselves: Is there, in fact, a new problem? Is anything anything different happening now in the relationships between suppliers and customers? And and I'm reminded of. Sinead Greenaway's presentation at our Tech Leaders event in 2018. Now, Sinead is the Chief Technical and Operations Officer at UKTV. And she gave this kind of impassioned plea for suppliers to basically stop talking rubbish at her and start talking to her in in words she could actually make sense of. Um, And it felt as if she was striking a chord then, three years ago, about something going a bit wrong. But I mean, you were actually out in the supply world at that time, Rowan. Did it feel to you as if things were changing? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember Sinead's words vividly there. And it, it is a bit as if uh, salespeople and marketing people across our industry read a book that told them that they should sell based on business value rather than technical capability. And, you know, great salespeople do that so well uh, by actually listening to their customers and relating things back to their problems. But so many seem to translate it into just using waffly business words instead of clearly explaining what their products do. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think there has been a a bit of a shift over the last few years. I think um, there's, there's sort of less of that traditional sales culture going on, you know, less of the steak dinners and and uh, you know, deals done in the pub, um, which is is probably a, a good thing. But uh, but I don't know. It's it's been a gradual thing for me. I mean, do you think also it's a little bit related to that shift away from from kit, you know, from hardware? Because I really remember um, in 2019, one very senior person from a from a content company saying to me, why ever should I go to NAB? It's a hardware show and we we deal with software. It was one of those kind of ouch moments. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
I mean, you know, people still do like to gather together to look at software and 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 to you know have a demo in person, but uh, but it definitely feels like the requirements have changed and and the methods of delivery haven't changed very much. And we have spotted, haven't we, in the DPP that when we have uh, tried to organise events for senior people at the major trade shows, uh, it's been harder to get those people simply because they're not going to be there. They keep telling us they're not going. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, you know, back to those days when I was uh, presenting on on trade show stands, you know, I certainly still remember plenty of customers turning up mob-handed with six or eight people. Um, you know, the, the, the stories of reductions in numbers of individuals going to the trade shows have been much overhyped, in my opinion. But there definitely has been a tailing off in those most senior individuals turning up. So, you know, if that was going on already before the pandemic, I guess the next question really on this subject is, is did the pandemic make things worse or, you know, add anything different to that? Now, I, I can remember when we did our um, ways of working survey with Signiant uh, last spring, you know, when the pandemic first hit, one of the most striking things we were getting from our our surveys was Respondents reporting that they were having real problems forward planning. Now, I remember about a third of them were struggling to get new prospects. About a fifth were having greater difficulty in engaging business contacts. And that was like that was like two months in to the pandemic. So it, it did seem as if virtual life wasn't making it any easier. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, just anecdotally talking to our members, you know, through 2020, suppliers were, were struggling to get attention, to, to get their messages out there. I, I don't think that's surprising. But what we really saw was that customers were, were also struggling. You know, they, they weren't keen on lots of the virtual methods that were out there for, for getting information about new products and services, mostly because they'd have to spend hours and hours on each vendor's webinars in order to just get an idea of what's new. But there was definitely that thirst for quality engagement, for learning what's new. Um, and, and we saw it repeated back at, at Tech Leaders Briefing in, in November. A number of our speakers spoke about that struggle to engage properly yeah. with their suppliers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It really was a big theme. I mean, Christina wasn't the only one who was talking about that. OK, so let's just get into this whole question of exactly you know, how people are engaging with each other, particularly from a supplier point of view. And, and like we said, this is time to kind of reveal ourselves as a supplier. So it has to be the moment when we bring in our our colleague and our marketing manager, Jane Deville. Hi there, Jane. Hi, Mark. Great to have you in the podcast. Um, yeah, so you know, what's it like for us, Jane, when we're being a, a supplier? Well, I hate to use some of that marketing gobbledygook that we were talking about earlier, um, but one of the big things that we always say that the DPP does is that we bring together customers and suppliers to solve problems and create opportunities. Now, of course, the big problem is that we have to get those customers and suppliers to engage with us in order to get them in a room together to engage with one another. So that's you know one of the one of the biggest challenges that that we have as an organisation. But does it feel to you as if um, the kind of way in which that's happening and the uh, the kind of atmosphere around suppliers in general is is becoming a bit more sophisticated? You know, are, are we seeing 
um, generally a higher quality of engagement once you get people together. Yeah, I think that what we have to bear in mind is that DPP membership and engagement looks very different for different types of, of DPP members. So it's very different for end users and for suppliers. So we found, you know, throughout the lifetime of the DPP that that end users have always got huge value from collaborating with one another from our very first technical specifications that we started working on. Um, but what we have noticed more recently is that the suppliers are now seeing a, a greater benefit from that as well. The, you know, the community as a whole is far more collaborative than perhaps it, it once was. Um, but that all of those companies, you know, they can't do all of that themselves. It's just not feasible when they have their day-to-day -day jobs to do. So they're looking for a mediator to help them get to know, you know, each other. Uh, you know, the, the end users in particular don't want to be deluged with supplier emails and webinars and all of those, you know, various ways of being communicated with. And also for the suppliers, they, they don't just want a quantity of leads, they want quality of leads. You know, you can put them in a room with all sorts of people from, you know, let's say the BBC, but it needs to be the right person to actually make a decision. Um, and we've also found that people generally, I think humans don't enjoy a, an overt sales pitch. Um, end users have never been particularly fond of, that, of just a, a direct sales approach, but we found that suppliers also are, are starting to step away from that approach as well. They've realized that actually, you know, much more uh, collaborative business relationships creates a much better result. Yeah, I'd echo that. I think, you know, we, we've talked a lot over the last couple of years about how business relationships are changing, you know, becoming a bit less transactional, a bit more partnership based. Um, and, and you really can't build up that partnership if you start with a sort of an aggressive sales pitch. And, and what's certainly really rewarding for us in the DPP is, as you say, Jane, you know, we're seeing far less uh, in, in the way of suppliers actually wanting to do that aggressive sales pitch. I think most of them really understand that, that a, a proper grown-up conversation is, is more effective for them as, as well as more pleasant for the, the recipient. Oh, great. So it's all lovely. It's all fine. Actually, everyone's become really mature and, yeah, it's all about quality now and we're all, we're all good. Uh, well, I mean, actually, genuinely, I do feel it's, it, it is much more mature when you get to the point where everyone's met and starting to get to know each other. Um, it feels like everybody kind of understands the terms of engagement far better. But I mean, let's be honest, there are still those times and there are times for us, aren't there, where you just have to reach out cold to people. And this is, this is the bit that everyone dreads. I think suppliers dread doing it. And of, and of course, you know, end users dread being on the receiving end. So, Go on, Jane, how do we think about this in the DPP? Yeah, so I mean, like any other supplier, you know, we, we may supply membership rather than a, a product or, or piece of software, but we, we still have to reach out cold, as you say. And so we've got two, two different sort of groups of people that, that we do that with. So um, we have to try to engage people with whom we don't have a relationship already. So, so people that we'd like to become a member or to take part in a, in a piece of research or an event that we're, we're doing. Um, and then the other group of people is, of course, um, our existing member companies where we're trying to broaden the depth of engagement with those companies. So we're reaching out to new people within those companies. And of course, we have to do all of that without upsetting any of these people as well. 
later on I will share a few secrets about how we do that. Um, but I think Rowan, you probably would be best place to talk about the first group of people that are trying to get new members. Tell, tell us a bit more about how you how you do that. Yeah, I, I spend quite a lot of my time talking with companies who aren't yet DPP members. Um, and, and, you know, like everybody else, we find it quite tough to get that right, to, to get in touch with the right people and, and start the right conversation. Um, I think speaking for the DPP, we've really learned to shorten our sales cycles. I think, you know, that there are times in the past where we spent a huge amount of effort going after specific companies. Um, and actually, if you don't get to the decision maker quickly, there is almost no point. Um, and, and again, this is something that I've seen in other companies that, you know, you've got to think about not just the success of an individual sale, but the cost of sale. Um, you know, as, as the CTO, I, I do, of course, like to relate this back to something technical. And when we're talking software development and, and agile um, process development, you know, we often talk about failing fast. It's better to, to have something go wrong quickly to learn from it and to move on to the next thing. And, and we're finding that we do a lot of that in our in our sales cycle as well. We've got to find the right person who understands the business benefit that the DPP can offer them, and we've got to make it clear to them. And if we if we don't do that quickly, then uh, then we're on to a loser. Well, I think yeah. you know we, 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 it's it's always about ROI, isn't it? I mean, we find even with our existing members, Jane, that 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 kind of ROI conversation it it, it never stops, does it? No, of course not. I mean, obviously you know, DP members get huge amount of benefits for their membership, but there are other ways in which we work with them. So for example, when, we, when we're selling them sponsorship, you know, we have to really think about how that sponsorship will benefit that organization. Um, you know, we tend to work from these days a, a shorter list of, of high probability prospects, companies that we know are really, really interested in that space. And, and, and looking to either increase their, their visibility in that area or looking for, you know, um, leads that ultimately they can then sell on to in, in that area. And of course, as our own brand builds within the industry, some companies now come to us as well, which is, which is great, you know, and, but they all want to know that they will get a clear ROI on, on that investment. All right, all right, you two. But it does feel to me as if we're just doing that thing again where we're saying, oh, you know what? We're all getting much better. It's all lovely. I I'm going to insist on keeping on taking us back to the stuff that, you know, that Christina was talking about that frankly doesn't work and we all hate. So let's talk about email. The world of email is hideous. And I put it to you, Jane, that it's entirely your fault. I think it's marketeers who have completely abused email culture. So, you know, how do you take that charge? I, I'm not sure that I can be found uh, guilty on behalf of the whole industry here. Um, you know, there, there is a lot of email sent. We, we can't get away from that. 306 billion emails sent and received every day. That's 112 trillion a year. Wow. But I know. Uh, and, and marketers only expect a response rate to the first email of between, say, 10 and 30%. Um, but what they what they've discovered is that, you know, if they keep sending those emails, um, then they will eventually get a response. Prospects typically ignore you four times at least before before they say yes. So it, it, it pays for them to pester you. And, and I'm sure that many of our DPP members listening will know that I have pestered them on many occasions to, to answer one of those kind of emails. Although, of course, we have a rule, really, that we try not to pester people more than four times, which is perhaps where we're going wrong. 
Um, at least we're reducing the amount of spam they get. I mean, is that pretty depressing news? And what we're actually saying is that if if more of us were more robust and and did more unsubscribing and more rejecting, then perhaps actually this situation would get a bit easier. But I don't quite, you know, for all that I've said, it's Mark Beard's fault. I I, I am a bit puzzled that um, grown up professional people don't seem to have yet learned how to handle an inbox. You know, I mean, we've had email for what, about 30 years? And what what I find so striking just in the kind of engagements that I have with people is that, you know, whether or not people are responsive over email has nothing to do with seniority, which is generally taken as being a sign of how busy you are, right? So there are some people in this industry who are very, very important people who will always reply to an email within 24 to 48 hours. They're impeccable. There are other people, you know, and we know them. It's like, there's almost no point trying. And because they just never answer anything. And, and but because they never answer their phone either. And they've become, you know, kind of impossible to communicate with. And um, call me old fashioned, but is it really excusable any longer that a professional person hasn't worked out how to handle their email? I, I think, Mark, that what we're what we're doing there is is we're segueing into a, a Gmail podcast about about how to segment your emails. And actually, the, the the bigger problem here is that you know the the world never really established a model about how how to behave with email. There have been there have been trends over the years. Emails are very formal to start off with. They're they're very informal now. But we never really thought about. How, how do we actually deal with the volume? Yeah, you are right. And of course, there was a time, wasn't there, when people said, oh, you know, email's dead. Email's dead. And it's not, actually. It's due to increase by around 25% in the next uh, five years or so. So um, somehow we've got to get used to it. But we, you did say earlier on, Jane, that you were going to share one or two of your little secrets about how the DPP tries to be more effective and less annoying. <laughs> when we send out emails to people. So, so go on then, what do you want to tell the world? Well, I think it, it's time to share a little bit of Marketing 101. I'm sure a lot of people who work in marketing who are listening will know this, but if, if you don't, then then why would you? Um, you know, for example, in, in the world of LinkedIn, a successful paid campaign will be one that gets a 0.3% click-through rate. <laughs> that means that means that the other 99.7% of people are, are going to, uh, you know, at best ignore you uh, or, or at worst absolutely hate you for, for spamming their timeline. So, so we just we just don't do those. We, we found that that's not an effective way for us to, um, to, to do business. So, you know, maybe that's why um, when it comes to email comms, I was surprised to find out that the, the most successful form uh, of email is the good old plain text email. Um, you know, when I first heard that, I, I didn't believe that it that it could be true. And obviously, you know, we're not always going to send our, our comms in that way. But we we certainly have sent more that way uh, this year. And we've seen almost an 80 percent increase in clicks on our emails in 2021 today. So mm, that's that really is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the next thing that, that's important to say is, of course, it's about sending the right message to the right people at the right time. We scrapped our uh, our monthly newsletter, One Minute DPP, because we couldn't get the open and click rates above the industry average. And, you know, we felt that 
it was better to be communicating specific items to the people that need to know them at the right times. Um, although I have to say that it's quite depressing to, for people like me and Mark to hear that although um, we love to write lovely, well-worded emails, we're wordsmiths, um, actually the, it's more important who you send it to and when you send it rather than what you actually say. Yeah, I guess this is it's yet more uh, proof, isn't it, that data really matters. And if as a company um, that tries to communicate with people, you haven't got the richness of data that, that tells you exactly who you should be um, communicating with about what and when, then, you know, you're going to be regarded as annoying. I mean, is, is that right, Rowan? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, we hear a lot about how data-driven decision-making is, is really important in media, and it's just as important in, in terms of the way that we do business. That said, I mean, I think it's absolutely about understanding and using data in the right way. So, you know, it strikes me, Jane, reflecting on what you've just told us, that the thing about heavily designed emails and big mass market messages is, aren't they the marketing equivalent of sort of being sold to, right? People, people see that they're being marketed to. So, you know, when they hear a plain or see a plain text email, it feels more like a personal conversation. And, and that's what we've certainly at the DPP been trying to use our data for, is to build up a more personal conversation, is to understand exactly what is an individual or a company interested in by, you know, where have they engaged with us before? And how can we use that to tailor the right messages to them so that we're not wasting their time with big blanket messages? So do, do you think then, Rowan and Jane, that if we kind of generalise this out to kind of the world of suppliers in general, it's becoming the case that if a supplier can't demonstrate through the way that it tries to engage, that it clearly has got data that it is, it is then using intelligently, so it's only going to you around things you care about. Now, if, if you are not visibly a company doing that, then actually you're in the wrong game because people will not want to deal with you. I, I think it... It's certainly heading in that direction. It's uh, it's a fine line to walk because if it looks too much like you're just sort of you know automating things and, and making a really a, a blunt set of decisions about people, then sometimes it comes across as disingenuous. But with the best world in the world, we're all dealing with an awful lot of contacts, and and so uh, you know getting the right balance between between automation and data and a personal touch is is the really tricky thing i think absolutely it's never it's never going to be perfect that's what we have to remember is that there is there is no ultimate correct solution for all of this and i think there's a lot of anxiety um, or there certainly has been in the past about missing people out of your comms for example that that's something that that people really worry about if they're segmenting data um that they're, that they're going to miss some people out. And, you know, sometimes you will, and sometimes you'll include people who aren't quite the right, you know, the right people, because you can't get all of these things exactly right. Um, but but you, you, can, you can make inroads into that by, by segmenting them in a way that's meaningful for your business. All right. So we talked quite a bit about how you try and get, if you like, that kind of one-to-one -one engagement right and you know, what people expect of those trying to do that nowadays. But I think we do have to talk about the other end of the spectrum, which is trade shows. So those you know, big and historically in-person 
moments in the year when it's like, you know, all the rules go out the window and you accept that you walk around the trade show floors and anybody might grab you. And it's where, you know, we go into this kind of free for all. And people are talking a lot right now, aren't they, about uh, the future of, of trade shows. Um, now, I've got a rant about this. Do you want to hear it? I don't think we get a choice, do we? <laughs> no, I suppose not a very true rant. So look, <laughs> this is my view on this. Do you know what? I'm already sick to death of this question about you know what what will happen to trade shows. What about trade shows? Because I think it's 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 asking completely the wrong question and it's kind of disingenuous. It reminds me of the people who who say they are worried about what's going to happen to the department store in their local town, when actually, meanwhile, what they're doing is they're buying the kind of everyday stuff they need off, off Amazon. Um, when they want to spend a bit more time over something, you know, they're going and shopping in, in like, you know, independent stores and they're hanging out at the farmer's market. Um, you know, when they want to do something a bit more sophisticated online, they're using something like Stitch Fix to buy their clothes. In other words, you know, their behaviours actually have completely moved away from this historic general purpose thing. And that's to me what kind of the trade show now is. So I think what would be more honest would be if as an industry we asked ourselves, you know, what, what are the functions formally carried out by a trade show that we still require and how do we require them because i've got a feeling that the answer to that is going to be in a, in a much more kind of modular compartmentalized form and in very very different sizes and shapes of events in different places across the year but am, am, am i am i right or am i wrong yeah i definitely agree mark and i think your analogy with the sort of the artisan baker and the farmer's market could be an interesting one here because for a lot of these things, I think it's about, you know, less but higher quality engagement. You know, if I think back to when I was working for, for broadcasters, I often got very much more from the one or two vendors who'd swing by to see us in our offices on the way to Amsterdam, give us an hour with their product managers to have a real conversation than I did the entire rest of the trade show talking to 15 other suppliers. You know, you've got to get those targeted engagements right. And that won't be one-to-one. -one. That won't, that, that's not to say that there won't be gatherings, but they've got to be a different shape. And, you know, one of, the, one of the things I'm finding really interesting is that um, it feels to me as if there are an increasing number of vendors who have now so demonstrated, actually, that they can facilitate a high quality conversation themselves, that in fact, them putting on an event or them hosting a gathering is something that is perfectly attractive to, you know, to their customers. I mean, of course, not everyone can do it. There'd be, there'd be, too, there'd be too many, but I do feel as if we're going to see events, not just hosted by the likes of Microsoft and Google and Amazon, but actually by kind of a number of other key players around sort of particular specialisms within, you know, parts of the supply chain. Yeah, I think that's right, Mark. And 
the, the challenge that we'll have if, if we break these things down too much is that you lose the serendipity, that, that beautiful thing of, of running into people in the halls of a trade show or in the bars. But you do have to weigh that up against the other big questions that are going to plague us going forward. The sustainability of flying everybody around the world to these, to these big events, the, the impossibility of trying to see everybody that you'd like to see while you're there. It's, it's a real challenge. Yeah, but you know, that's where I think actually what is far from dead is is the conference. You know, um, they, they've just got to get better, frankly, than I think they've become in recent years. But, um, you know, a really, really high quality conference uh, is, is a much easier way for people to kind of demonstrate value of their time. You know, we quite often do hear, don't we, that actually from senior people that actually they, they do find a real benefit to being taken out of the office and being kind of trapped somewhere for a day or two. They actually quite appreciate it. And it's one of the things they actually miss right now. Um, so I think there's still going to be an appetite for that when we can meet again in person. It's just got to be that, that those events have got enough good quality content and no, what else, enough certainty that they're going to find interesting people at them. That's the thing. They've got to know that they're going to find other interesting peers. Absolutely. They may not use the word trapped, but uh, I think they do definitely enjoy it. So, come on, Mark, Jane, do you think anybody's going to notice if we now just use this as a little segue into talking about DPP Innovation Week and how it happens to address many of the problems we've discussed? I don't think so. I think they'll see that as entirely organic to this conversation. (laughs) I think they'll applaud it as a fine example of stealth marketing. (laughs) Go on then, Jane, tell them about it. Uh, So for those of you that that don't already know, DPP Innovation Week is an idea that Mark Rowan and I came up with last year. Um, We were actually supposed to be having a meeting about something completely different. uh, And we just started talking about all those problems that we discussed earlier, how suppliers were having a problem getting in contact with customers and how customers were feeling a little out of touch with what was going on in suppliers. So we came up with an idea of an event to address those problems. Um, And essentially what it boils down to is... um, a a week of supplier pitches where each supplier gets three minutes to talk about what's new or innovative about either an existing or a new product that they're developing. Um, And all those pitches are grouped into themes. Um, So uh, across different parts of the the media supply chain. Um, And what we've added for this year is um, we're also going to be hearing from customers as well about the, the problems that they're facing and, and how, how the suppliers can help them address those. Uh, and hearing from some of the CEOs of some of our member organizations about what innovation really means to them. So what we do at the end of the event then is that we connect together the customers and the suppliers who can help one another. So what you're, what you're saying really, Jane, is that we're kind of the industry email filter. We're like a firewall. Is that what the DPPs you know, come to after all these years? I, I've never really thought of myself as a, as a spam filter, but, but but maybe that's maybe that's the way we're going. So there you go. In the space of the conversation, we've gone from Jane being the source of all spam in the world to Jane being some magical spam filter that will save us all. You must be pretty pleased with that turnaround, Jane. Oh, I'm I'm so proud. I, I always used to say about myself that I was a Mary Poppins that came in to fix the problems of businesses, but I can't really believe it's come to this. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So DPP as industries Mary Poppins. I think we have really reached our peak. Okay, so then just to confirm, Innovation Week takes place in the week beginning the 12th of 
April online, of course. And if you have been avoiding all those emails from us on it or putting them into your junk, uh, but now you want to know more, then do drop any of us an email um, or actually just stay awake when you see the next one coming in. There'll be plenty more about this coming your way very soon. That's all from us for now. So it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from them. And we'll see you again in a few weeks' time with another DPP podcast. Thank you.